0: Good morning. Good morning. Um, it's been good to meet a lot of you so far. Uh, this is one of the first times that I've ever gotten up to speak, and like everything I was going to talk about today has pretty much ever been covered. Um, <laughs> so uh, we're still going to go with it. Um, but I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be down here. Um, you guys are an incredible group. I've just enjoyed being here and worshiping with you so far. Um, Daniel already read Malachi 1, and I'm thankful for that, that he did that. Um, That's where we're going to start today. Old Testament passage, we kind of skip over it, like skim over it, it's kind of a weird thing, but uh, we're going to start there this morning and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, something that I've become more passionate about, and that's fake righteousness. Our time is filled with people who seek righteousness in a lot of different ways, and that's the way that has been for all time, basically. Um, If people don't have a God, then they worship their money or their fame or their sexuality, and when they do have a god or gods, sometimes they worship them only in the ways that they feel is more, or is necessary of them. They're willing to do things out of convenience because they feel good when they do those things, but they aren't always pleasing to this creator. And in our sense, when we have a creator who is so great, so powerful, so wonderful, and has given us so much, how much more should we be giving to him? When we, st- when we start our uh, study today in Malachi, We're going to see Israel in the position that they're in in front of God, that they have completely failed to give God what he truly deserves. So we're going to start in Malachi 1. I'm going to reread verses 6 through 14. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious with up to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to that of any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For, this fri- for From the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations. and in every, in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts but you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit that is its food may be despised but you say what a weariness this is, is and you snort at it says the Lord of hosts you bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick and you bring that as your offering shall I accept that from your hand says the Lord cursed be the chief who has a male in his flock and vows it yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Malachi 1 is, is kind of an almost depressing thing to see the, the position that the children of Israel in. And God calls out the priests like first. So, I mean, this isn't just a the people of Israel. This is the people who are supposed to be the holiest of Israel. But God, through Malachi here in the first chapter, calls out a bunch of ironies that Israel is partaking in. They respect their fathers and their masters. They show them honor and respect. But their true father and their true master who has never let them down, he gets no respect from them. He gets the leftovers of what they have. They give the trashy and unworthy things to the Lord and then act like they presented something that was worthy of it. You know, this is worthy of you, God. And then they're, they're very confused when God asks them, like, oh, wait, we did this thing. We did this for you. But then... When it comes to their political leaders, they're willing to give them what you know, whatever they ask for. Given the nature of politics, they were probably corrupt. So they're willing to give good things to the corrupt, but bad things to the incorruptible. They bring things without effort and then still complain about the weariness that it's brought upon them. Everything is tiresome when they give it to God when he hasn't grown tired of their ignorance and their uh, blasphemy of him. The Lord is their true king, but they have refused to respect him in that way. And overall, God is saying that no matter what you do, Israel, my name is going to be known everywhere. People are going to lift up their names, or my name, everywhere. The only reason that you guys are glorified is because I gave you that glory, and I want you to be with me. But instead you're acting like you're the glorious ones and we're the ones that accepted you. And that's completely false. This is a really sad state that we find at the end of uh, the Old Testament with God's people. These aren't a random group, a bunch. This is a people who have been called out of their former lives, called out of their nations to people to be of a covenant, to be of a promise. So what kind of position that are they in now that they are now disrespecting this God spitting in his face when he's done nothing but good for them but this is the nature of self-righteousness when you believe in your heart that you can give whatever you want to God and that's going to be good enough you can fall very easily in these type of traps God may have asked them for something specific but if they didn't feel like bringing that then that's not that's what they, they were going to bring what he wanted to bring they have shunned what God wanted in favor of their own convenience and their own, uh, you know, whatever is, feels better for them. Because the firstborn lamb of the flock—that's a good one. They want that for meat. They want that for uh, wool. Giving it to God—I mean, that's 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 a little much. But this is a God who had saved them from captivity. They had been enslaved over and over and over again, but God kept dragging them out, dragging them out. He had shown them love even though they had tested his anger and his patience for a very long time. He had brought them as a bunch of farmers and random people in in Egypt and got them to fight some of the greatest armies in Canaan, and they won. That was God. That was absolutely nothing with these farmers. But now God has become just a prop for them, where they can come and they can offer one sacrifice, a terrible sacrifice, and then go on with their day and then act like God is pleased. Can you see yourself in this first chapter? I'm trying to be kind. <laughs> I'm not trying to be <laughs> mean. Um, but so often it's easy for us to give God what we want to give him. And I don't even just mean like contribution or anything like that, but lip service. When we say things that, are, that sound good, and they're, they sound good to us, and you know we hope God is pleased with them, but are we truly living as an offering to God? Is our life truly a sacrifice to him? Or are we bringing him the garbage from our lives, laying it at his feet, then going the opposite direction, hoping that that's good enough? Unfortunately, we do that a lot. And we're in the same position in a lot of ways that Israel was, because the government will ask for us, you know, we gotta, you have to pay taxes and stuff like that. And then if you decide to give what you believe the government deserved, zero dollars, then they would throw you in jail. But what does God offer when offer us when we give to him what he asks? Eternal life with him? Forever? In the most perfect place we could ever imagine. Instead, we turn and we indulge on whatever we want to do and act like it's such a hard thing for us to accomplish. Blessings on top of blessings is what he's given to us. And we need to stop following the path that Israel has already followed in. And serve God with everything we have. Truly be a sacrifice worthy. Don't be a sacrifice that's trash and garbage. God wants you, but you have to want him as well. Now, when we are supposed to be, we're supposed to be living this righteous way. And people can see through us when we don't live righteously. When our lip service is that lip service. How are we supposed to be truly righteous and show other people God's righteousness If our righteousness is fake towards God. Malachi 2 ends on a rough note, and as you get into Malachi, or Malachi 1 ends on a rough note, as we get into Malachi 2, it gets a bit worse. Um, We're going to start in verse 1, I'm going to go through uh, verse 9. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, and I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces and the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and a people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Uh, in Numbers 25, if you remember back, that's a story of after um, Balaam has tried to curse Israel, and now they uh, they weren't able to be cursed because God was going to bless them. But if Balaam tells them, you know, well, there's a way for you to curse Israel. Basically, all he had to do was send a bunch of harlots among Israel, and that was it. That was off the wagon. But there was one people who stood up in the face of this opposition. That was the Levites. Moses, Phinehas, and the people of God, the, the true Hebrews of them. And now, we have a position where these people who are the the ones who stood up for God even in the midst of the worst tribulations. They have fallen on the wayside with the rest of Israel. God says that he had a covenant with them. A covenant specifically with Levi. He had a covenant with the, the people of Israel, but specifically with Levi. They were the ones who got to tear down the tabernacle and carry it with them. They were the ones who got to hold the altar and they got to go in the holy, most holy place. They got to do all these things when it came to the temple and serving God. They got the best job, in all honesty, of any of the tribes. They, got, they were the place where people would come for instruction and in sanctuary. If they had iniquities or sins, they would come. And then, when they needed instruction, they would come to the priests. The priests would give them instruction from God. But what had the priests done now? They had decided that whatever God had helped them before, with before, where they had... No need to go and you know, work for themselves because they were being provided for by the other tribes. All these other blessings that they had received, they had turned them down for the sake of following with the crowd. The priests, the holy ones. And in very graphic terms, God said that he's going to take the, the garbage that, they have ta- that they've put on his altar. He's going to rub it on their faces. He's going to show them the shame of what they're doing. Because that's gross. God doesn't accept gross. All God wants is a truly repentant heart in that you offer him what he asks of you. And instead, what they've done is they've, they've given him just the absolute garbage, absolute worst that they could give. And now they have turned aside just as the rest of Israel had. In 1 Peter, you don't have to turn here, um, but 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 10, uh, there's a new priesthood that is spoken about it says but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light once you were not a people but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you receive mercy this new covenant this new this new priesthood is us We've been turned away from the ways of of the wicked world that's around us, called out of darkness into light. And now, this priesthood has been renewed. It needs to be changed from what Israel was doing. Because what they were doing was completely unacceptable to what God wanted. Our priesthood now is we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to him. And we glorify him. And no matter whatever the world is going, no matter where our friends are going, no matter where our government's going, no matter any of those things, we're supposed to stand up for the right. And people are gonna see that, and they're gonna ask you, as we've already talked about, about you know why do you act this way among other people? That guy was yelling at you, why did you respond with gentleness or grace to him? There's gonna be a difference between us, and we shouldn't be afraid of that difference. The old priesthood that happened in the Old, in the old Testament, it failed. As new priests, we can't follow down the same paths. Now Malachi 3 and 4 have God still poking holes in Israel's arguments against him, but he gives them a lot of hope that in the future, those who are righteous of Israel will be remembered, as well as there's hope coming. Elijah's going to come and pave way for the, for the Christ, for the true hope. And we know Elijah is John the Baptist, and we know that hope as Jesus. And when Jesus comes just as we talked about already. The righteous were the ones who proclaimed to know him, but were far from him. We're gonna go to Matthew 23, which is where the brood of vipers comes from. We're gonna talk a little bit about that. Matthew 23. I'm gonna read verses one through 15. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do observe (coughs) what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all these deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, but they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man on father your aunt, no man, your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves coming off talking about how jesus was gentle and kind you know we this this is one of those rougher passages where you're like wasn't jesus kind of mean he was but he was mean to the people who knew better they knew better (coughs) through chapter 23 all of it we're going to touch on some other things but jesus calls out the scribes and Pharisees in several different woes about their hypocrisy and their self-righteousness how they have done everything to prop themselves up and make themselves look good but have forgotten to entirely glorify God in the beginning he tells the people that he's talking to these Israelites and his disciples he says hey guys you should listen to what they say because the Pharisees were really good they knew the law they knew it well and you should listen to what they say But what they do, you don't follow at all. Because they're willing to talk. But they aren't willing to do anything. As we said in high school, these people are all talk. That's it. They don't practice anything. And the things that they do, they do them so that other people recognize them. Got a really nice, fancy Pharisee robe. and That's cool. I get a nice seat in the synagogues. People listen to me when I say, and i got a cool name, i got a rabbi. They've forgotten everything else about what the law is supposed to mean. And that is ultimately glorifying God. Now, in Malachi, we already talked about kind of, you know, God is the true father. And it's interesting that Jesus kind of brings out that idea again here in Matthew 23. Don't call anyone else here your father. You've got one father, and that's Christ or that's God, and he's using this in the same terms as, you know, here's here's your master who you serve in honor. That's God as well. Now the Pharisees had acted like they were true teachers, like almost like they were their fathers, but they deserved no honor because they did no actions. Also in Malachi, it talks about that God wanted someone to just shut the doors of the temple so that no one would bring him any more sacrifices. He didn't want any more of their garbage. But in Matthew 23, Jesus talks about a greater door being shut. And as when the Pharisees go out and they're, they're teaching and they're, they're focused so much on these tiny things that they miss the big picture, that they're shutting the kingdom of heaven in the faces of people. The opportunity that they had to be true sacrifice to God, they were shutting that opportunity off of them because they were so, they were so stuck on themselves and making themselves look good. This religious lifestyle was built exclusively on talking and then showing off what whatever they had. But in all honesty, it's a complete opposite of what God wants from us in his kingdom. So when the Pharisees were going out and doing this, they were creating more people like them but less people like God. Now the rest of 23, as we've already kind of mentioned, it, it continues with similar language. In verse 24, uh, he has a very interesting saying that I, I enjoy a lot. He says, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. I mean, These a very tiny little, it, nicky-picky things about the law. You can only go like half a mile on the Sabbath. and we We're going to make sure you do that. But they have forgotten everything else about what the law is supposed to mean. The reason that the Sabbath was important is because God said it was important. And Jesus says right before it that the true things that they were supposed to be talking about is righteousness, justice, and mercy. That's, those are God's attributes. Those are the things you're supposed to be putting on, but rather you are putting on yourselves and saying, well, look at me, not going half a mile on the Sabbath, but you're going half a mile on the Sabbath. I'm more righteous than you. That's a completely incompatible attitude with the kingdom of God. They had called themselves faithful, and people started to believe that they were faithful, but Jesus says they aren't because they don't follow what God has asked them to. Throughout this passage, again, he goes on, he calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them dishes that are completely disgusting on the inside, the part that actually matters, that you're going to drink out of. They look nice on the outside, but inside they're garbage. And he also calls them the brood of vipers, and then talks about how the prophets who are coming, that he's going to send, that they're going to destroy them. These people... The people who are supposed to be righteous, the people who are supposed to be good are gonna destroy the, the other righteous people that like Jesus is supposed to sin. But we know that, that's, that's true. Not only did they kill Jesus, but they're responsible for the stoning of Stephen. They're responsible for persecution all throughout the area. We we a lot of times we like to focus on the Romans, but a lot of times it was Judaizers and those type of people who were chasing around the apostles, especially Paul. They aren't righteous people because they have forgotten to fear God. The covenant of life and peace applied to the Pharisees as well. They were still God's chosen people at this time. God had given them this law so that they would follow in it and show themselves different from the other nations. So the other nations would come and be like, what is so different about you guys? Why don't you eat this thing? Why don't you go this far on the Sabbath? It's because God told us to, and he is the greatest authority that you'll ever know. But instead, they had turned it into, everyone come and see me and look at who I am they had turned this religion, this, this lifestyle, into a matter of their own convenience. Their righteousness wasn't built on what God actually wanted from them, but it was built on the fact that they got to sit in Moses' seat. They had, their righteousness had no significance other than their position in society. As Blake read in uh, before the Lord's Supper in Philippians 2, we read about the greatest servant to ever live. We already talked about it a little bit in Matthew 23. But Jesus emptied himself. He gave up everything. And that's because he knew that in the end, just as it says in Matthew 23, in verse 12, that whoever humbles himself will be, or whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He knew that if he emptied himself and he humiliated himself, God was going to lift him up. Because he wasn't looking to serve other people. He wasn't looking to serve money. He was looking to serve God. And God filled him and lifted him, up, lifted him up and gave him a name greater than any name that at his name, every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth shall bow. That much power was given because he decided he wasn't worthy of glory, but God decided he was. Now we know that the Pharisees, they are... From what we know, they're they're buried all throughout Israel in graves that are cast away. Their bones are no longer there under a city that no longer belongs to the religion that they serve, for the most part. But Jesus, on the other hand, is ruling in a land that will never be conquered by anyone else and is ruling with with so much power that the Pharisees cannot even conceive of their minds. It seems pretty easy, which... I mean, a pretty easy distinction, which path we should be following. Should we be exalting ourselves so we end up in the ground doing nothing but being bones turned into dust? Or should we be following a God who gives us new life and new creation? It seems obvious. But the broader Christian community, unfortunately, doesn't necessarily believe all the same things that we do. Some people in this so-called prosperity gospel, which I cannot stand, they believe that your money is the most important thing in your life. God wants your best life now. He's never, ever said that. <laughs> he's, gonna, he's willing to provide you blessings, and we've all been richly blessed. But the ultimate goal he wants us is to be in heaven with him. It has nothing to do with this earth. <clears throat> and all these people who are they are just looking for some, some answer, they throw their money at them, so let's do it buy another private jet, instead of turning to God who actually fulfills them. They're worshiping their money and not God. Other people are so focused on including everyone and being so nice to everybody. And you know, love, God said love, God is love. But they've totally forgotten about the other parts about repentance and how we actually come and we serve God, being a little sacrifice. They're willing to come to service on Sunday and have a really rousing service where they lift their hands to God and it's wonderful and great. Then they go out and live the rest of their lives like garbage. You serve humanity in that sense because you're serving, oh, it feels good here and now, but then I'm willing to be like everyone else for the rest of the week. You're appealing to everyone else's nature instead of God's nature. And lastly, we've already talked about the people who are often seen as evangelical who may believe a lot of the same things we believe about sin and things like that. But Then they go out and they're rude and they yell at people and they get in their faces and they tell them that you're going to hell because of this thing then in their own communities, the things that they're calling out on this board are rampant. Because they have forgotten that their righteousness isn't about their own ego. Because I can see how it could feel good to yell at other people like, look at these things that I don't do, but you do them. But then you don't even help the people who are supposed to be like you. That is fake righteousness. Because all it is is serving self. True righteousness leans on God for exaltation. So... When we come and talk about the Church of Christ, which I don't like, we should just address each other as individuals. Individually, you. We aren't going to be perfect. But how are you serving God? Are you doing it in the ways that he's asked or the things that are most convenient for you and the most easy for you? If you are serving him, does it, I mean, it can look good to other people, but are you serving him for that reason? Or are you serving him so that he's glorified? Have you lost the awe that you have for him, the zeal that you have for him? This covenant of life and peace that was expressed towards Israel, the, the priests, the Pharisees, is now addressed towards us. And all we have to do is offer ourselves as a true sacrifice. And We can't seek other people to lift us up because the only time that Jesus was truly lifted up by humanity was by me. He was lifted up on a cross. But he didn't care about that. He cared about God's will. And when we care about that, we don't have to care about a lot of what other people say either. We're supposed to absolutely love our neighbor and, glor- and you know, put him above ourselves. But ultimately, we need to glorify God over that and everything. And when we offer God not our lip service, people can see that genuineness, and God can see that genuineness most importantly. Don't let your righteousness be one of fake garbage, but make it one of genuine service to our Lord. Thank you for listening this morning.